0: Chapter 18, and as you're turning there, I want to um, I want to thank you for for your faithfulness, and I'm looking forward to continuing in this series on on prayer. And a couple of weeks ago, we preached a very challenging message, and challenging in the sense that we all were given uh, this this prayer card, 40 days of breakthrough prayer, and if you have. Have the card that, and you've received it. Maybe you were here the first week or maybe you picked one up during the week or last Sunday or, uh, or you want to pick one up today. Uh, that would be a great... Oh, by the way, if you need a prayer worship guide. Thanks, guys. Uh, raise your hand if anyone needs one. Good. We've got several, especially on the front, always on the front. And uh, <laughs> it's my crew. But uh, anybody... Good. Thanks, Junior. Great. All right. Just keep your hands up and these guys will take care of you. Thanks, guys, so much. But these... Uh, These cards here have been very helpful. And, you know, it is a challenge to pray for something 40 consecutive days. One thing, intensely, fervently. I mean, bring it before the Lord. Pour your heart out over this one thing. I realize that we have other things to pray about. But the challenge was to discover one thing that you need a breakthrough in. And it could be a a variety of different things. And, of course, you don't have to to take the challenge as literal as I'm giving it. You You can create your own challenge around this thought. But the bottom line is that if you're into this, you've already found out how challenging it is to do it for 40 consecutive days. As we go through the prayer series, there's going to be challenges that I give you. There's really no easy way to preach this series because... You know, it is it is challenging me because the truth is we're all attempting to become better prayers. For some reason, Jesus said that his house should be called a house of prayer. And yet it seems as if we have taken that that very thought, that biblical truth, and we've replaced it with so many other things. And God's house has become a house of a lot of things and prayer is on that list, but it's not at the top of the list for whatever reason. Soul searching. It is, it is. Soul searching for me. And I'm, I'm, that's one reason why we're, we're preaching this series. Jesus said that, uh, or rather the scripture says the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And again, there is, there was something in that statement that indicated they had a lot to learn about this subject. And they had Jesus alive in front of them to teach it. Wow. All you've got is me. Sorry. but But I'm going to do the best I can to teach to you what Jesus taught to them. And so I love you, church, because you seem to be so responsive towards that. And I'm encouraged that you are embracing it, and and you seem to have an attitude that desires it. You you seem to be hungry for this. At least that's the impression I'm getting, and I'm encouraged by that. Whether it be, you know, uh, a word of encouragement face-to-face or an email or a text message or something like that, it's it's encouraging to see the church really embracing this thought of, wow, preacher, this thing of prayer is... Is something I I definitely am realizing, like you, like me, that I I need more of of this teaching. I need more of an understanding of what it means to pray biblically. So we're going to be here for a couple of weeks in Luke 18. Okay, we're going to do things backwards. We're going to go Luke 18, 9 through 14 today. Next week, we're going to go Luke 18, 1 through 8. Okay? And so a couple of parables here, and they're very good parables. And they're very thought-provoking parables, and they require, and I'll tell you why they require this in about two minutes. But parables require explanation, because they are a form of teaching that Jesus prefers. And so, so so far, the concentration has been on prayer. Thus far, we've discussed prayer barriers, right? A couple of weeks ago, how to overcome those prayer barriers barriers so that we can pray biblically and then today the focus is going to be on the general overall attitude of the prayer okay let me say that again today our focus is going to be on in this series of messages on prayer today we're going to talk about the general overall attitude of the prayer P-R-A-Y-E-R. So here's my first statement. Before the prayer can have a breakthrough, the prayer, the person himself, you, me, we must have a breakthrough. Are you with me? No. Now, now, wait a minute. So in essence, really, I'm, I'm preaching this morning a message to the prayer, about prayer. We're really teaching this morning a little bit more about how we as the prayer-er can pray in a way that we would get our prayers answered. And so we need to break through ourselves. The first step on that path to a breakthrough is to learn how to pray biblically because that builds confidence. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm gaining some confidence. It's not there yet. I've got a ways to go. But I'm gaining some confidence in our prayer life. I'm feeling like, okay, God, I'm, wow, I was really screwing this thing up. I mean, I, wow, Lord, I, I I need, there's so much I didn't know. There's so much I need to learn. I, God, I, I, I know that, that, that there are prayers that are not being heard. There are prayers that you, you're not listening to if they're not prayed biblically. And and God, I want to understand that. And so now today I want to learn, God, what are the things that repel you? And what are the things that accelerate my prayers? Thus, the title of the message, three prayer repellents and three prayer accelerants. And so there's a difference. There's three truths, two truths here, three different thoughts. So let's jump into the text, shall we? Luke chapter 18. Look with me, if you would, please, beginning in verse number 9. The Bible says that he's speaking a parable. So let's stop for just a moment discuss parables. Parables are Jesus' preferred method of teaching. Now, what's interesting about parables is oftentimes parables were brought on in a public forum. Somebody tried to provoke Jesus to make a mistake, to say something he would regret. They would ask a foolish question. They would try to stump Jesus. The Pharisees oftentimes would, be, would do this. The Sadducees would do this. The jeering crowd, the, the Christ haters would say things to try to get Jesus to, to, to say something to, maybe in, 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 in a, with a temper or in wrath or anger. And so when Jesus would be faced with these challenges, he would oftentimes speak in a parable. Now, what's interesting is if you study the Gospels, you'll find that oftentimes that larger group, because there were so many people that didn't really care what Jesus had to say. In fact, after Jesus told the parable, you can read through the scriptures and you'll see they really didn't know what he meant. They're like, what? What are you talking? That's, what? What? That doesn't even make sense. But then what would happen? His disciples later would get him and say, hey, w- w- what did you mean about that? When you said that, what were you talking about? And then Jesus would take a smaller group of people, right? And Jesus would begin to explain in a deeper way to his 12 or, or maybe to the 70. Or how many were in the upper room? After the entire ministry of Jesus, after three years of preaching and teaching and ministering, how many followers did he really have? You flush the whole thing out and there were 120 people in an upper room. 120? 120? To be honest, that's why oftentimes, as a pastor, we know that what happens in the corporate assembly is not the greatest work. The, the churches have truly become social clubs and places where people gather. And if we're not careful in this main gathering, we stop right here. We put our time in. We sat. We soaked. We listened. Okay, whatever. I've got a business connection. I've got a conversation. I've got a girl I'm after. I've got a guy I'm looking at. I've got this going on, that going on. I've got a business deal. I've got some kind of thing I want. But the truth of the matter is, is there's a whole lot more to learn about the scripture than I can explain to you in 30 minutes. That's why we go deeper. And and you get tired of me saying this. And so I apologize. I know you're tired of this, but it's never going to stop. And that is uh, uh, small groups. Getting in a smaller community of people like Jesus, 12. I'm only trying to teach what Jesus did. It's not like my idea. Jesus got away from the crowds and poured his life into a few. And the 12 turned to 70. And the 70 turned to 120. And the 120 turned into the masses. And still today we find that there is just a minority truly of Christ followers who are hungering and thirsting after more of God. And they want to know more of what's being taught in a public arena where not everybody is here for the same reasons. And so we, we, we should feel as if this is a great opportunity for us to learn something from a parable. But I'm going to tell you in advance, there's so much more to learn. So Jesus here is teaching this parable. And, and he says this. He says to a certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Get this. And they despised others. The number one prayer repellent Mark it down is this self-righteousness. We see here that Jesus was teaching this parable to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Lead me to the end of myself. Eric Capace's biggest problem is Eric capace Not you. Not somebody else that I'm trying to blame my problems on. Not somebody else that I think I'm better than. Well, at least I'm not like them. No, 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 no. Eric, Eric. <laughs> lead, you need to, to be led to the end of yourself and then I can lead you to something greater. See, that's where I'm at this morning. You know who I'm preaching to this morning? Me. I, you just have to be here to hear it. <laughs> Self-righteousness should sicken the heart of every Christ follower. All of us should get to the place, especially after this series of messages, where we do not want anything to do with self-righteousness. It has destroyed Christianity. And I don't mean it's destroyed in the sense that, 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 that Christianity is not alive and people are not being saved. But please understand that, that, that most of the reason why people are turned away from the church... So I shouldn't say Christianity. Maybe I should say it's destroyed the effectiveness of, of the church and of the gospel... And by the way, self-righteousness is the enemy of the gospel. The gospel has nothing to do with self-righteousness. If it did, Jesus would not have had to come and die. If you could save yourself, Jesus would not have died in your place. Listen to this. Titus chapter 3 brings us to a great awakening. This is who we are. This is who we are. We ourselves were once foolish. We were disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is the way we were. We were this way. But here's what happened. The goodness and loving kindness of God came into our lives. Hold it right there for just a moment. We were this way. We were trying to figure it out ourselves. We were trying to save ourselves. We were trying to be good enough and we, we just weren't getting there. So all of a sudden, God comes on the scene and we're introduced to this one who can save us from our sins and he loves us and he died for us and then, next verse, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. You are not righteous. I am not righteous. He is righteous. And listen, we have been made righteous by justification through faith in Jesus Christ. But we're not righteous. For you and I to think that we're better than anyone else is foolish and satanic. For you and I to think, look, look, you are not better than your neighbor who did not come to church. Just in case you walked out of your house this morning, or just in case I walked in my house this morning thinking, psh, psh, psh. Oh, man, they don't have a clue. You're not better than the two gay guys that live across the street from you. Sometimes I think we're just better. We think we're better than them. We're better than that sinner. We're better than those weirdo. We're better than, oh, that pervert. And, and all of a sudden, we begin to think we're, we're not better. I'm not better. We are justified by God through faith in Jesus Christ. We're not righteous. He declares us righteousness. He declares us righteous through faith in Jesus. God forgive our self-righteousness. This is a place we need to be. This is overboard teaching from a parable that Jesus taught about a man who thought he was something else. And God, forgive us of self-righteousness. God, forgive us for this demeanor, for this harsh assessment of others. That kind of just looks at people sometimes and says, tch, tch. Oh, God, forgive us. That should never be our attitude when we come to the Lord in prayer. And you'll see it here as it's spelled out through this. And if it is our attitude, then we'll never have a breakthrough because our righteousness is, our self-righteousness is a prayer repellent. Number two. All right, let's move on. Look at verse number... Look at verse number 10. Two men. Now, now the first thing I'm thinking here in, in verse 10 is this. Ah, Jesus is going to give us an illustration here of two men. One's going to be bad and one's going to be good. I mean... One bad guy and one good guy, and we're going to figure this thing out. We're obviously not going to want to do it like the bad guy, and we're going to want to do it like the good guy, right? But, but, but read further in this verse, and you'll find that's not the case. Two men went up into the mountain, to, or to the temple to pray. They went to do this thing called prayer, the thing we're studying about. The one was a Pharisee, and the other was a publican. If you don't mind, I'm going to use the word tax collector, a little easier. So one was a Pharisee, one was a tax collector. Let me tell you something, folks. That's bad, bad. Okay? That's bad, bad. One's a Pharisee, one's a tax collector. Okay? Two men are going to the temple to pray. Both these guys, in my opinion, so far, from what I know about these two crowds, bad news. What do we know about the Pharisees? Well, we know they based everything on rules. Everything. They thought they were better than everyone else. The Pharisees were all about the external. That's all they cared about is what they looked like. They were what was called phylacteries. It's a big word for just simply these these jewelry items or these these things imprinted upon their their, their robes that, that showed how righteous they were in comparison to everyone else. They were godless. They were religious. They were ritualistic. Instead of sincere. Now the tax collectors, what were they like? Well, there was no IRS code back then. Not that the IRS is <laughs> goes by the code. But there was no code. There was no uh, accountability. There was no structure at all. Tax collectors were Jewish men that had bought a piece of the action from the Jewish government. I mean, from the Roman government, excuse me. And these men would, would buy the right to collect taxes. He was very dishonest. In fact, the business was basically operated like this The Roman government tells the Jewish man, Look, this is how much we need. Anything else you can get out of them, you can keep. You can do whatever you want. This is how much we gotta have. If you wanna get a hundred, a 1, thousand, or ten thousand, you lie, cheat, steal, get all you can but this is what you got to give us. A very dishonest operation. These were the two men that were going to the temple to pray. Men, both of these men, not very spiritual. Both of these men, men, not not men that you and I would emulate. It says they, they went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisees stood, verse number 11, and he prayed thus within himself. Are you ready? Here we go. God, so far so good. I'm good so far. We're one word in and I like it. God, are you ready? I thank thee. I'm good. I mean, so far, it looks like we might be okay. God, I thank thee. That I am not as other men. Mm. Here it comes. God, I thank thee. Remember, this is a parable, Jesus' preferred method of teaching. He's teaching us how to pray. He talks about the Pharisee who went to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee prays like this God, I thank thee that I'm not like you. I'm not like you. I'm not like the extortioners. I'm not like the unjust. I'm not like the adulterers. And God, I'm sure not like that publican. God, thank you, God, that I'm not like them. Number two, the second prayer repellent is self-importance. Self-importance. Here's a man who is so consumed with himself... The importance of himself. He says here, God, I'm glad I'm not like an extortioner. What is an extortioner? An extortioner is someone who is who is an open thievery. He's a thief. He, that's what he does. I'm glad I'm not like them. And yet here this man is stealing glory from God himself. The worst form of thievery there is. God, I'm glad I'm not like the unjust, he says. And yet he is about to get really unjust with the person he's going to be praying with in the temple. And God, I'm glad I'm not like these adulterers. And yet Jesus said in the New Testament, if you think lust in your mind, you've committed adultery already in your heart. How many have, how many have not done that at some time or another? And then the worst form of adultery, Isaiah says, is when you're unfaithful to God. And who in this room has not been unfaithful to God in some area of your life at some point? Are you with me? I mean, he, he, is, he is saying he's not like these people, but yet he doesn't see his own weaknesses. He's so concerned about the way he looks to everybody else. God, I'm not like these men. I'm better than them. Three quick thoughts on the screen. I'm better than people that know less than me educational superiority. One of the worst things that can happen to someone who knows something is to think they're better than someone who doesn't know what they know. Yet we see this. And God forbid the champion Christian college would have one educator, and if he is, let me sniff him out and fire him today, who thinks because he has a degree, he's better than somebody else that doesn't know what he knows. Somebody that teaches with an arrogance, doctrine, And almost teaches as if if he's right and everybody else is wrong. Because they just don't know what he knows. This is the Pharisee. Number two, he says, I'm better than people that have less than me. Fiscal superiority. He sees himself as someone. This is speaking of those that see themselves as someone who have more. and, And here is someone who has less. And so I'm better because I have more and they have less. And we begin to feel as if we're more entitled because of our materialism. Bigger houses, bigger cars, better clothes. We shop here, you shop there. Well, I'm better than people that can do less than me. Vocational superiority. Here's someone who has an attitude of self-importance that says, Look, I can do more than you. I've got more talent. I've got more ability. My heritage is better. My stock is better. We see this so often in Hollywood and sports, and it's just permeating through to our young people that there's an attitude of arrogance. You see it even in America sometimes. We are so arrogant as Americans. And listen, I am an American. I love our country. I love the Olympics. I love it when we win the gold medal. But can I tell you something? We need to be careful that we're not so arrogant that we feel as if other people just aren't as blessed and as... Talented and as athletic as we are. You see. Self-importance. It's a prayer repellent. And then finally, number three, I want you to look at verse number 12. Because the prayer doesn't end in verse 11. He's still praying. He then goes on to say, I, (laughs) I fast. Not once a week. I fast twice a week. So for you one faster or weaker, I got you. Fast twice a week. And I tithe of all my possessions. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I give. I'm a tither. In fact, when I put my envelope in, I make sure my name. Make sure you see my name. I want everybody to know. See, this is... This is the prayer repellent called self congratulatory. This is where I, I want to make sure that you know just how good I am. I'm praising, if you could put that on the screen, uh, self congratulatory, praising himself. I'm better. I'm better. This is who I am. I, I've got this on you, you see. Look at me. Bring it on. This is, I used to be involved in a. A, a, a mentality in in church where when the preacher walked in everybody stood and clapped this is literally I saw this stuff happen I remember when the big thing was that everybody all the big shots in the church we all sat in really big chairs on the platform we wore really good suits and ties and when God humbles you he gets rid of all of your hair But it was all about the stage. It was all about, I'm going to do it my way. You ever, you ever read the words to that song, I did it my way? I, I didn't even know the words. I couldn't sing it. I couldn't remember. Somebody said, have you ever heard that song, preacher? You're talking about, lead me to the end of myself. Let me read you the last. All I, I, I pulled the words off the internet. Here's the last words of that song, I did it my way. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he is not to say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. That's the song of people today in hell. That's the theme song in hell. I took the blows. You see, my Bible says that The chastisement of my sin was laid upon him and with his stripes I am healed. He took my blows. Jesus took your blows. Jesus, you should have died, but Jesus died in your place and the only hope of heaven you've got is not you taking the blows, it's him taking your blows. You see, this is not about you and your goodness and your standing ovations and pastor, your big chair on the platform. I sit on the front one now with all the rest of us sinners, amen? I'm right down there with you, church. Oh, yeah. That's right. Because this is not about how good any of us are. It's not about great is. It's about who God is. These are prayer repellents. These are things that Jesus is teaching us in this, in this parable. Wow. Now let's get to the three prayer accelerants. How many of you are ready to get off those three repellents? And let's get on to the good stuff. Amen. I know I am. I'm sweating up here from conviction. All right. Three. By the way, can I just stop before I go to that and just say this, that I'm guilty sometimes. Oh, yeah. I know I am. I'm I'm discovering through this series that sometimes I pray like the Pharisee. I do. Sometimes I'm like, I, I know this about myself. I know sometimes. And God is revealing this to me, that sometimes I pray from a position of I'm better, not as bad. And, and, and sometimes I, I don't know, I just feel like maybe God God owes me something. I mean, I'm a good guy. I, I go to church. I mean, I raise a Christian family. I, mean, I tithe fast. I do things. I mean, come on, God. I don't know if anybody else is like that. Sometimes I I just think I kind of deserve better, you know? And I'm seeing this in me. And I'm saying, God, thank you for this parable. This parable is awesome. This parable is revealing the areas of my life that are hindering my prayers. Maybe maybe you should be preaching this series instead of me, but I'm afraid all of us have a little bit of this in us. Don't you think so? Maybe a little bit? A little bit. And so... The prayer accelerants. Here comes the breakthrough. Hallelujah. Here comes this tax collector. And he does not pray a long prayer. But this dude's got it. He's got it. He's he's, he's got it. Notice first of all, verse 13. A. A meaning the first statement. And the publican, the tax collector. He's standing afar off. And he would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. Jesus is teaching us here in this parable through this tax collector. Number one, a humble position. A humble position. The first prayer accelerant is when you and I understand and begin to learn the greatest attribute that we can learn when it comes to prayer, and that is humble position. Prayer posture says something. We see a man maybe walking in this story, walking into the into the temple, and he's standing afar off. He he's not concerned about being in the limelight. He he his head is down because he recognizes not not necessarily how bad he is, but he recognizes that he's 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 nothing he's he's nothing compared to God and, and he understands that and so he comes with a, a humble position, a, a a head that is bowed, a, a humble attitude. I think prayer posture says something. I think that's why oftentimes when we go to a baseball game or a football game or a basketball game and we stand for the National Anthem, you know, we we think posture says something about America, don't we? I mean, if you, how many of you, without raising your hands, I mean, look, if you're going to sing the National Anthem, stand up. I mean, if no other reason, stand up because you're standing, somebody laid down their lives so you could live in this country, have enough character to stand Amen. I I don't I don't I think posture means something when you when you sing the national anthem. I understand all this arguing about rights, and, and I know that they died for the rights of a man to kneel or sit down or but but it bothers me. I'm sure it bothers a lot of you. But wait a minute. What about prayer? Seems like prayer's the time kind of when we get a lot of things done. Hey, right, let's bow for prayer. Hey, give me some gum. Hey, give me a mint. You got a mint? Hey, I gotta go to potty. Go to the potty now. Good. That's okay. Miss five minutes of the sermon. Don't leave during prayer. I'll slip out during the prayer. It's a perfect time. While they're talking to God, I'm out of here. Why does that sound better than, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll just get up during the sermon? That's better. I mean, I'm not nearly as important as God is. It's okay. We understand if you get up, some people have to go. I just don't have that privilege. I can't go. How weird would it be? Time out, I'll be right back. You know, I mean, you guys be like, what's up with this dude? Preachers have to hold it the whole time. Now, can I tell you what that is? That's a light moment right before I come in with the real kid, You know what I'm saying? Spurgeon said that. Spurgeon taught that. He said, listen, he said, you want to get him laughing so you can come in and clobber him over the head. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm joking. So all that to say that when we pray, we shouldn't be doing anything else. We shouldn't be fixing things and unwrapping gum and candy and, and passing things and talking and asking questions and where are you going after. We, we should... We should bow and i don 't know put our hands together, and close our eyes I mean I, I think posture says something i 'm not telling you what to do i'm I'm challenging you to think about if this house is going to become a house of prayer, then it, it we've got to learn something about how to pray and if this if Jesus is bragging on a guy that came with his with his eyes down and his his he was standing up, in other words his his attitude was a humble. Posture in prayer. I think there's something we can learn from that. Prayer accelerant, number one, humble position. Prayer accelerant, number two, true contrition. True contrition. Now what is contrition? Contrition is a $5 word that means this, heartfelt confession. That's what it means. Heartfelt confession. Confession. You can look for it here in the text. Do you see it? Look at look at verse thirteen again. It says that he stood afar off. He he wouldn't lift so much of his, as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast. He he beat his his breast. Now wait a minute. This is not speaking about self-flagellation. This is not hurting yourself. This is this is not that at all. In fact, self-flagellation is something that we often see in false religions and movements where people are taught to hurt themselves and it honors their false God and, and so many people are involved in this as a form of worship to their false God. This is not that. When this man is, is is beating his breast, let me let me give you an illustration. Have you ever have you ever seen someone passionately just Just and it's just a part of this this seriousness, this focus, this, this heartfelt word or prayer or, or speech or moment where somebody is saying, listen, it's a symbol. It's a symbol that says, I, I'm not after comfort. I, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to have a breakthrough. So he says, listen, God, God, this is, this is important to me. You've got to know my heart. True contrition results in a change of direction, which proves the sincerity of heart that a person is ready for a breakthrough in prayer. True contrition results in a change of direction. Let's stop here and talk about that for just a moment. Just a moment. So I if I'm truly sorry, if I'm, if I'm truly from my heart sorry for... Something I've done, or something God reveals in my life, that I'm going to change it. I'm going to make things different. Let me give you an illustration. Anybody ever heard of Alfred Nobel? You have a picture of him on the screen here. Alfred lived in the 1800s. The name Nobel, obviously, boy, immediately we go to Nobel Peace Prize, right? Well, that's the dude. What's interesting about this guy is is he invented dynamite. He became a very wealthy man, one of the wealthiest mans on the planet because of the sale of his invention of dynamite. He was eating breakfast one morning towards the end of his life. He looks in the obituary and begins to read and his brother had passed away, but they wrote the obituary about him. They made a mistake. Alfred Nobel died this week. He invented dynamite and he is responsible for killing more people than anyone else that's ever lived. He died a very rich man. Alfred read that. It's easy to find the story. easy to look this up. He began to weep, crying uncontrollably. He said, I don't want to be remembered as someone who just killed people and had a lot of money because of my? So he takes his entire fortune and he donates it, if you will, to create this endowment that has turned into Nobel Peace Prizes for great accomplishments for people that have done wonderful things. The Nobel Peace Prize came from a man who had true contrition and heartfelt change. Are you with me? You see, God is looking for you and I to make a change in our prayer lives. He's looking for someone who says, you know what? I don't want to be like this anymore. God, I want to change, and I'm truly coming to you with, I'm serious, God. I'm serious. That's what he meant. He beat upon his breast. True contrition, number three. And thirdly, the third prayer accelerant is sincere petition. Sincere petition meaning this, and this is amazing. A simple prayer from the heart. How many of you in church today are glad that God is not looking for eloquent prayers? Amen. I don't think God in heaven has ever said this. Unbelievable prayer. Those words were just so long and big, you're definitely going to get an answer. Wow. I don't think God's ever done that. In fact, here in this heartfelt prayer, this this prayer of sincere petition, there were seven total words. In this parable, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And he says, "The, the tax collector, the one who got my attention... The one who had, who, who prayed a prayer of humble position and true contrition and sincere petition, look at verse number 13. He prayed seven words God be, wait, 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 God, God. That was the same thing the other guy said. First word was the same. But he said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Seven words. Look at the contrast. God. I'm thankful I'm not like them. God, God, be merciful to me, a Wow. Wow. Sincere petition. And what was the assessment of his prayer? What did God think of his prayer? Well, let's look at verse 14. God says, I tell you, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, he went down to his house justified. What does that word mean? God declared him righteous. It was not his righteousness, but he was justified. The word justified is a long word that just simply means this, just as if he'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if he'd never sinned. He's been declared righteous by God Almighty. Imputed is another $5 word for imputed righteousness. Righteousness infused by God himself given but not deserved, justified, rather than the other. So this man went to his house saved, the other didn't. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased. No breakthrough prayer. Everyone that exalts himself, no breakthrough prayer. But he that humbling himself shall be exalted. You see, with Jesus, the way up is down. The way up is down. That's not what our society teaches, though. But God teaches, if you want me to exalt you, then you've got to humble yourself. Wow. This is something else we can learn. This is another way that we can say, lead me to the end of my
1: self. My self-righteousness.
0: God, lead me to the end of that. Lead me to the end of my self-importance. God, lead me to the end of my self-congratulatory. And take me to the edge of something greater. God, what do you have for me? What is it, God, you want to do? I want to be humble. I, I want to be contrite. I, I want to be sincere, God. I, I want you to lead me to the end of myself and to the edge of something greater. God, I'm willing to go and do whatever it is. I'm not concerned about who knows me and how famous I am and how much I have and how, how better I am. Or I, I'm not concerned about that, God. I want, I want what you want, God. Whatever that means. somewhere this could change our church it could change our homes it could every head bowed and every eye closed with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning next week we're going to move into chapter 18 verses 1 through 8 and and we will as a as a church look at this other teaching that Jesus gave and it's powerful but today I'm just praying that God would Would show us any self-righteousness in our hearts today. Any self-importance. God, humble us today. God, humble me. If my people, called by my name, humble themselves and pray. The humbling came before the prayer. God says, humble yourself before you pray. Oh, today, could it be that God is going to show us, like he has me this week, some of the things that need to go so that God can begin to lead us to the edge of something greater. Oh, Father, may we become sick of self-righteousness. God, may we learn the importance of prayer and prayer posture and humility and contrition and and, and sincere petition father i pray that you would humble us this morning to where god we would desire only what you would want god would you help me as a pastor to learn how to pray and worship as if you were the only person with me in this room God, help me not to be so concerned about what anybody else thinks or says about me. For, Father, I I want to be more concerned about what you think, what you say. So, Father, we thank you for this sermon, for this teaching, for this scripture. Thank you, God, for what you're showing me. Thank you, Father, for opening my eyes to my own self-righteousness. God, thank you for these people. Thank you for these people who are accepting this truth and willing to listen as I struggle, as I struggle and confess my own weakness in front of my own church. So, Father, I love you and I thank you. God, bring us to a place today where we can do business with you. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's anybody here today that does not know that they're a Christian, you're not sure that you know Jesus, I want you to know that I would love to pray with you, to have a moment with you at this, during this, what we call an altar call, an invitation. However you feel led to respond, you're welcome to do that. Between you and God, in Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand? We, we see there's no way we can hide the condition of our country, of our nation, of our world today. It seems as if things are, are moving so quickly, more quickly than they ever have. God, I'm convinced, Lord, that you are preparing us as a people. Lord, you're asking us to see it, to open our eyes, to see the world around us in great need of a Savior. And to see Jesus in our lives it's going to take a different church. It's going to take a different mindset. Lord, it's not about bigger and better and larger and more money and bigger salaries and bigger buildings. God, it's more about, Lord, people that need you, people that need love, people that need help. God, I pray that you awaken us to that, Lord, and humble ourselves and... We're going to seek your face and we're going to stand on the great frontiers of your love. And God, we're going to look out over this world and see it as you see it with compassion and a broken heart. And God, we're going to pray, Lord, in a different way. And Lord, we're not there yet. I'm not there yet. I've got so much to learn. So, Father, help me to learn it and help me to share it and help us, God, to receive it as we've learned it maybe for the first time. And change our hearts and change our church and change our prayer lives. And break through and show up and do a miracle. A miracle that only you can do. And So God, we come before you today as we just close in song. As we sing our way out of here. Standing on the great frontiers of your love. I pray God that you would build us, Lord, to a place where your kingdom can grow. And where your message can be heard from the hearts of a humble and contrite spirit. I pray these things. In Jesus' name. Let's sing it, church.